Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. Amen. Thank you, Peggy. If you're glad you're an American, say amen. amen. If you're glad you're a Christian, say amen. It's a double blessing, isn't it? We're thankful to be in this great country, enjoying the wonderful freedoms that come because the investment of so many uh, who have gone before us. And I thank uh, Pastor Starr for putting together the music. It's been good today, and I appreciate uh, that little video. If you have worn a uniform in defense um, and in honor of serving in our country, I'd like you to stand just for a second. Or if you've been in any of the military branches, men or women, protecting our freedoms, just stand just briefly. And let's give these folks a good hand again. We love to recognize them. You may be seated. Appreciate your service. Judges chapter 6. So take your Bibles, please. Judges chapter 6, uh, second part of a series we're in. And simply looking at uh, the, the issue of courage last week, we decided that courage must begin in our own backyards. It starts at home. We looked at that today. We're going to see this. A reluctant hero by the name of Gideon, a man of great courage. God chooses him to lead a, a wonderful campaign. We're going to see what character it was that endeared him to the heart of God, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Father, we pray that you'll take these moments we have together, precious time in your word, and I pray that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, do the inside work that only you can do. Take your word, inspired and given from your heart, and drive it home to our hearts. I pray that because of our time together in your house, we would be mutually encouraged, and Holy Spirit, that you would draw us closer into a life that is patterned after thee. Thank you so much for these godly men and women in the Bible that we've studied. They encourage us that we can do the same. We can follow in the same footsteps of faith that they led, and I pray, Lord, that you would give us that sort of heart and obedience. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. What single sentence would describe your life? Usually at the end of life, right? Uh, some preacher will uh, officiate over your few last moments together with your family at your funeral service, and they try to say good things about you and try to capture and condense your life with an economy of words and put that into one sentence. What would they say? What will they say about you? Ever think about that? Maybe you ought to write it in advance and hand it to a preacher that you know just in case. So it's something that you want to be said, right? Well, certainly our lives can be known. Hopefully it's not what he really, he really liked to a garage sale or something like that, something tri trivial. We think of uh, spiritual statements made by these courageous folks in the Bible. We've studied so far Esther. We can kind of condense her life into that phrase, right? What is it? If I perish, I perish, not fatalism, but expendability. I'm going to go, my life is, uh, uh, I'm going to put this whole, my, I'm going to risk my life for the cause of my people. David, in front of that great Goliath, he said this, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I hope your life is like that. Everybody around you looks at you and says, well, you know something? Because of that person, I know there's a God that's alive. What about the three Hebrews? For the king, remember that kind of that statement, that 
blue, uh, what blue heart? I suppose purple heart moment. The purple heart moment. There it is. Where he just, they stood and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, Let it be known, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the image which thou hast set up. Paul, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Joshua, you could even say that for me. At the end of his life, he stood before his country and he said, What? As for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord. Dads, it's okay to have that kind of courage. And here, when we look at the life of Gideon, really his life could be captured by this statement known of him in that final uh, battle that he fought against that Midianite army. Do you know that there were close to 130,000 enemy soldiers staged against 300? And as Gideon that night and the following day charged down the hill towards where they were, in the Jezreel Valley, the great statement that he was, he told his, his troops, just holler out, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Those aren't two different swords. One self-same sword. He was carrying the very plan and purpose of God. Well, by now, we've established already a little bit about the life of Gideon and that his life truly was uh, known for uh, that statement, the sword of the Lord of Gideon, he uh, operated in this kind of this realm or this area. Right there you see his hometown of Ophrah and uh, the area in which he battled the Midianites. We also uh, want to just share some principles this morning. We'll get to the time in which he ministered was about 1160, 1165 before Christ. And we've established already by way of introduction that the land of Israel was in a mess. It was the time of Judges, a book in your Bible that could be renamed, really, the, the, the time of failure or the book of failure. It's a time where uh, God intended to use tribal leaders to lead his people. God wanted to be the leader, the ruler, but he was going to use local judges and governors to lead the people to do what? After Joshua left the scene, God wanted the people to continue to prosecute the battle, to run out the enemy. And as Joshua left, he said, don't settle for, don't settle down, continue to fight the enemy. Or you will find like weeds that grow up in the crack of a sidewalk, these sinful patterns and influences will ruin you unless you continue to go after. What a great spiritual lesson there. Careless living about sin will come back and get you. You have to always be fighting sin in your life or it will win the victory. Always be vigilant. And so as Joshua left the scene saying that, as for me and my house will serve the Lord, you better too, or you'll find out that the enemy around will soon become the enemy within. And that happened. Well, we were uh, last week just uh, painting the picture about leadership. In Gideon's day, leadership was failing. According to Judges chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, we see there that the, the people's leadership was in a mess. Enemies were advancing. And thirdly, oppression was prevailing. Judges chapter 6, verse 1, we see that for six, or excuse me, seven long years, the Midianites had come in at harvest time and simply devastated the land. Not only was the influence of their godless idols and form of worship kind of taking over and prevailing in Israel, they were also just having their way with the harvest and really just taking and, and raising the land, or excuse me, coming in and just destroying the land. 
and taking the crops every year at harvest time. And so the people were in a mess. Oppression was prevailing by the thousands. Uh, People were coming in, especially the Midianites, Amalekites, and the tribes, nomadic tribes from the east, and simply destroying the precious commodities that the Israelites worked so hard to develop and to raise. And then fourthly, we also saw that the worship was seductive in that time. We established that last week that around them, all kinds of uh, false forms of worship. You know, Baal, the local god, the local deity, was known as the god by which crops were blessed. He and his consort Asherah were known as those vital to the vigor of harvest and reproduction. Never mind that God had said... Don't allow this kind of worship in your land. Don't do it. No, they had already included these false local deities to the the panorama of gods that they would worship. And I mentioned last week about the correlation between their day and ours. The vile gods, godlets that we worship around us, evolution, paganism, homosexuality, pornography, abortion, the list goes on, pantheism, Spiritism, recreation, pleasure. Now I'm beginning to meddle, aren't I? You think uh, that pleasure God isn't one of our gods? We don't name him or her Baal or Asherah. But just try to pry parents, even Christian parents, away from the schedules of sports that their kids are involved in on a Sunday and see how easy that is. Obviously, the cry is just like the one that happened in... uh, in his own backyard, right? When he tore down the idols, uh, knocked down the altar to Baal, the Asherah pole, they all ran out as the narrative tells us and says, who's done this? It's almost the same kind of response we get today when we try to put church on the weekend. Church on, what do you mean church on Sunday? That's my day. It's my day to play. Well, the idols that were living in their backyard, last week we decided, are living in ours. I want you to always read the Bible with you in mind and me in mind, us. This wasn't book of history for no reason at all, but to fill the pages with details about the past, but God wrote this for our instruction. So it is, we too have our own idols. And so God, in the midst of this miserable scene, calls a man. His answer usually is to call a leader. So God called Gideon to stand up against idolatry, stand up against, more than anything, the purity of worship. As reading through this story, this narrative, I realized that the Midianites weren't the real problem here at all. God has no problem taking care of Midianites. It is really the worship of their hearts that was the problem. God was just using Midian to get their attention. Question, what is it that God is using in your life right now to get your attention? What Midianite force is surrounding you with the idea that your heart isn't where it ought to be? God made you for worship. And so he will do what's necessary. He will pursue your heart until it is fully given and not divided and distracted. Are you a part-time worshiper? No man, the Bible says, can serve two masters. And the problem with Israel at this time wasn't the Midianites. It was their worship 
And so as we begin and read again the context before us, remind you the heart of God is for your heart to be all His. Chapter 6 and verse 14, And God looked upon Gideon after he had complained about the fact that God's miracle power in the past was not evident and the Midianites were having their way. And the Lord looked upon him and says, I've got my man. You have a heart desiring for proper worship. And he says, go in this thy might. He wondered, I'm sure, at that statement. And thou shalt save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Here's the commission statement for this man who seemingly didn't have a lot of courage at the onset. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. The Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and that's all we need. And thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man in one battle, one day. And he said unto him, If I have now found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. Remember who's speaking here. This is the angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who's in Gideon's front yard now. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of an ephah flour, flesh he put in a basket, and put the broth in a pot and brought it out to him under the oak and presented it. The Bible presents this with great detail. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh, the cakes, and there rose up a fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And Gideon, when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, to face. and the Lord said unto him, audibly there, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. God is my confidence and peace. Unto this day it is yet an Ophrah of the Abizrites. Wonderful worship service that we have just been a part of between Gideon and the Lord. Well, it's an interesting scene, really. Gideon, realizing that this may be a visitor from heaven decides to offer the guest a meal and request confirmation of the promise. Verse 14, Lord, would you stay here, please, while I run inside my tent and get my servants together and present an offering? It was customary in that culture uh, to always include hospitality that brought in to bear food, a great meal. In fact, the more honorable the guest, the more lavish the meal. And so he told this visitor from heaven, please stay while I prepare a meal. Gideon went in. He only had one guest, remember. And I love the King James here. He said he made ready a kid, verse 19. You you catch that? Uh, Some of the young mothers here may identify with this. He made ready a kid. Kids are hard to prepare, right? By the time you wash them, feed them, brush their teeth, and change their clothes twice, is that what that means? Not really. No. What this means is he went out to his pasture behind his tent and found a young goat in the back, 
somewhere, uh, a good one, a tender young kid. And uh, are you beginning to time this, not the sermon, but how long it takes? Ladies, you know how long it takes to do it. Well, especially if you grew up back in the day in the country where you know about butchering something. Raise your hand if you ever had to butcher an animal and then prepare it. Takes a bit, doesn't it? Some of you, some of you are telling me their age. He slaughtered it, skinned it, cleaned it, built a fire, rinsed it, boiled it, or roasted it at about 400 degrees or about an hour and a half. And while this is happening, he is getting together a bushel. How many of you from the farm know what a bushel is? A bushel of anything. It's, it's significant, right? About yay by yay. Full. It's over a bushel of flour that he's kneading or someone in his household is putting that together. That doesn't happen just like that. He's not living in the microwave culture. An ephah, a bushel of flour is baked and graciously, graciously presented as a present. Minha is the Hebrew. It is a gift fit for a king or an offering for the Lord. I bring forth my present to you. He knew that his guest was like no other. To me, as I study this passage, one of the most wondrous phrases in our text is found at the end of verse 18. Do you get it there? Are you looking at your Bible? He looks at this guest knowing that there's something very special about him, and he looks at the Lord God of heaven, and he says, please stay. Well, I get together this meal for you. One day I want to preach a sermon entitled, The Day God Waited on a Man. All through Scripture, we are enjoying to wait on God. This day God waited on a man. Lord, stay here. Don't leave my tent. This is a special moment. I love it when God stops and notices individuals. Has God walked past your tent recently? Has he? God stopped and walked with Enoch. Often I picture this scene of God walking with one man. God stopped and said to Satan, have you seen my servant Job? Look at him. There's no one like Job. God stopped when a woman reached out of the crowd and touched the hem of his garment, his robe. Who touched me, he said. How silly his disciples responded to think that in a crowd like this, you would care. Stop. Lord, Stay a while. God stopped when a blind man called out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Someone in the crowd nudged him because he couldn't see the Lord approaching. Someone said, the healer, Jesus is coming. And from the crowd, not even knowing which way to turn, he hollered, son of David, have mercy on me and God in the, in the din, in the confusing times in the middle of the market. Stop because God heard that voice. God stopped when a centurion said, could you not heal my servant? 
And could you just do it from afar? God, the Bible says, marveled. God is standing at our doors. Really, he is. Behold, I stand at your door and I knock. How long has he been knocking? How long before you've noticed? This is one of the wondrous surprises of Scripture that God would slow down his schedule, so to speak, and spend, I don't know if it was an hour or two while Gideon got together this wonder, and what a sacrifice it was in that economy to get a bushel of wheat or barley flour together, and the best of the best of the crops and the best of the flocks just for this visitor. And Jesus, can you picture this? Jesus is under the tree, the shade tree, just waiting for this meal. At the well, he talked to the woman and said this, God is seeking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. How long has he been standing at your door? How long have you neglected him? How long since you've worshipped him? How long since you put a present together for this king of kings? Behold, I stand at your door and knock. How long since you've longed for him and cried for him and begged him to stay a while? Abide with me. You have Facebooked your way through the week. You know what everyone is doing, but what is God doing in your life? You know what you're going to do this week and Monday on your day off, and you know what you're going to do at the end of the month, but where is God in your life? Gideon said, please stay Would it shake you up if God came to your house for a meal? Would it? Would you be ready for him? May I give you some evidences of Gideon's Gideon's valor? Why God chose Gideon and why God is looking today for a heart that's similarly affected by worship and by the love of God. We've covered principle number one, but it's a primary principle in Gideon's life. Though he was miserable in terms of his nation and his life, And his own family, really, he longed to see God's majesty. Finally, we got to the points on the screen behind me. Though he was least, he wanted to experience God's best. And this man was one among among few, really, that had this heart's desire. People were just taking it, the idolatry around them. They were just getting used to it, settled for And here was a man that longed for the days when God would work powerfully. And he told the Lord that. Where are all the miracles, verse 13? We've heard about them, but we're the generation beyond that. if, if, If God is with us, and if I'm a mighty man of valor, a Hebrew there, if if I'm a mighty soldier, then where? Where is the great God who would lead us? If I'm the warrior and all his misery. He's praying that God would eclipse that by his miracle. Where be all the miracles? Lord, rise up again and do your work in our land. Secondly, though he was confused, he remained confident. He didn't know how it was going to happen. He he just knew that this visitor from heaven had commissioned him, and he didn't know how in the world that one guy like him, one man who was least in his tribe, would ever rise to the leadership level that would, 
would somehow come against this mighty army over a hundred thousand strong with what they had and with who he was. He didn't know. He was confused. Have you ever been confused when God says, here, I want you to do this or I want you to do that and I'm calling you to do great things. And I remember God's calling in my life to preach. I said, Lord, you've got the wrong person and all that. And I complained all the way to the front of, uh, of, the, of the chapel service there at Pensacola. And I said, Lord, all the way I was, I said, Lord, are you sure? Uh, maybe I just had a bad piece of pizza. Lord, is this? But there was this internal impression upon my heart that God, and I said, Lord, you know of all the Regeer boys, I'm the most shy. The Lord says, I'm not going to tell you how, but just hold my hand. Quit slapping God's hand and his plan. And so when it was all over, this worship service, there was an altar built, and Gideon simply did this. Verse 24, Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. I'm confused, Lord, about how this is going to happen. I'm not sure. A little recalcitrant, a little by my heels, but here's what we're going to do. Lord, if you've called me, and I'm going to just call this, this place Jehovah Shalom, because you're my confidence, you're my peace. I don't know how, but uh, Lord, thank you that you're here. An uh, elderly man was rushed to the hospital for an emergency surgery, and the man's son was notified about it, and he raced to the hospital to try to talk to his father before he was taken back for the surgery. And he did catch him in the hallway being wheeled to the operating room. And he said to his dad hurriedly, Dad, how are you? The father said, even though, son, the storms are raging around me, the Prince of Peace is reigning within me. Isn't that good? Though the storms around me are raging the Prince of Peace within me is ruling. The peace of God shall rule in our hearts. Don't lift up your eyes to the hills. Lift, look higher. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord. Some of you are overwhelmed by life. Raise an altar today. Raise an altar and call it Jehovah Shalom. God is my peace. Thirdly, though he was reluctant, though he was reluctant, he was not resistant. He was not resistant. Gideon really wanted God's best. Perhaps you might call him a little bit deliberate, careful, conscientious. Whatever you might call him, uh, you have to admit that Gideon, at least in his heart, really wanted God's best. Uh, I think we have different personalities. We do. In a church of this size, all kinds of... Some of you are type A, let's get it done now or yesterday. Others are a little more deliberate. And on every committee, by the way, it's good to have people, the dreamers, the doubters, and the doers. Every committee needs a good balance. And I would put uh, Gideon in that doubter category. He was a little... He said, God, now I know you just came and he asked for signs all the time, didn't he? You know the story of Gideon. He, he wanted God's affirmation. Well, Gideon was not easy to convince. And he's, he's uh, not a Lord, here I am, pick me kind of guy. He's hiding when we meet him, threshing his grain, 
down low instead of on a mountain or on top of a hill. He was a bit like Moses, Obadiah, reluctant, and he asked the Lord for three signs before he's all in. <laughs> I'm kind of like this guy. Maybe some of you are. Lord, I just really need to know that this is God's will for my life. How many of you prayed prayers like Gideon when you were in college looking for your spouse? Lord, I got to know this is the, this is the one. There's a lot of them out there, right? Um, so Lord, help me know big life-altering decisions we want to be sure about. You remember the fleeces of or the fleece of Gideon, chapter 6, verse 17, right? There's not the fleece there, but there's the first sign. He asked, Lord, uh, I know you just told me that you're going to be with me, but please. And so there's the sign where as they present the food, the meal, uh, it's touched by the rod of this angel, and fire comes down, kind of like Elijah. Fire comes down and consumes the whole thing. Now, for most of us, that would have been enough. <laughs> okay, I got it. Not for Gideon, right? He's still a little bit reluctant. And uh, then we see it in verse 37. The next sign was the fleece. He says, Lord, I, by now he's already mustered a bit of an army, chapter 6, 37. And not to read all the text for us today, but he's beginning to understand that God wants him to do this thing. And so he says, Lord, just, just so I'm sure, I want to put out a fleece, a little uh, piece of lamb skin or sheep skin. And dry one night, wetter on the ground, and then he reversed it, right? And, and so he, he said, this, this really has to happen, Lord, before I'm really ready, even though God has already told him, I will be with you. Is that not enough? Well, there's a big if, chapter 6, 37. If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. What a, what a verse. Lord, you've said it, so if you're going to do it, no, there should be no doubt in the declarations of God. He is reluctant. We ought never doubt in the dark what God has clearly professed or commanded in the light. Lord, if you want me to marry, or if you want me to do this, or if you want me to be a soul winner, or if you want me to do right and go to church. No, you shouldn't argue with God about that. Don't put a fleece out about what God has already commanded you to do. But there are things that we have doubts about, right? So he puts a fleece out there, and, uh, and he wants the miracle to be reversed in verse 39. All right, you did it one time, but just to be sure, I want to confirm. So he confirms God's calling by promise, chapter 6, 14, by the fire, by water, chapter 6, 37, and then that is reversed. And then finally, by the vision of the enemy. He says, I want, I want three confirming signs, and you know the story. Uh, he, he's, he's, he's sent by God himself down to the enemy camp to listen at the edge of a tent or the flap of a tent to hear what they're saying about him. And God, uh, through a vision to the enemy, allows Gideon to be reassured that, yes, he, in fact, the enemy even names Gideon by name in that vision that's told in the night with his servant that once went with him down to the Midianite campground and they listen to what they're saying about Gideon. Oh, yes, the Lord. It must be the hand of the Lord, the sword of the Lord. The hand of the Lord will deliver us into Gideon's hand. When he heard that, finally he was ready to go. Wow. What does it take for you and I to believe God? Gideon was a bit insecure, but he wasn't reluctant or defiant like Jonah. 
Now, I must say this just for clarification. In our day, with the completed word, we ought not need feelings, fleeces, or phenomena <laughs> phenomena, to uh, confirm God's word to us. We have a more sure word, Peter says. Right, right here it is. Don't look to the skies. Don't go to your horoscope to figure out what God wants you to do. Don't beg God for more and more information if he's already persuaded you through his word what you ought to do. Sometimes we hear about the college guy who wants to know if he's uh, dating the right one. And he prays. Maybe you prayed a prayer like this. Remember the college days when you're trying to figure out who to marry? Prayed a prayer like this. Lord, it's his fleece, right? If she's the one, let her wear blue on Monday. Let her smile at me in the cafeteria today. Choose a salad instead of a burger. And take a right turn on her sidewalk as she goes back to her dorm. Well, he knows some things about her. He knows that she loves to wear blue anyway. And loves salad. And loves to smile at everybody in the cafeteria. And can't get to her dorm without at least taking one right turn. (laughs) That's not a fleece. It isn't. At least Gideon, to give him credit, is asking God for do something unusual and difficult. So ground is dry, the fleece is wet, and the next day he reverses that. Just, to, Lord, make, make it plain to me. And so I suppose if, if you have to use a fleece to determine God's will in your life, make it a true fleece, right? If you're praying, is she the one? Let her wear fuchsia with plaid. Let her choose liver for lunch. Let her frown at me. Let her plate explode in flames. And if she's the one, may she walk backwards to her dorm. And may random strangers, ex-boyfriends, advise me that they continually in their sleep get a vision of of her being the right one for me. That's a fleece. (laughs) Add the difficult things. Make it tough if she wears blue on Monday. No, that's not a fleece. Here we see uh, Gideon raising, uh, the, uh, upping the ante a little bit, one that says, God, I, I want you to make, make yourself plain to me. And what is amazing to me in all this is, is, uh, is God's patience with Gideon and God's patience with me and you. Have you struggled knowing God's will for your life? Have you? Isn't God good to be so patient with us? He is. And he has a way of confirming through his word through the impulses of his spirit, and also through good counsel and wisdom, we can know beyond. He doesn't want to hide his will from us, Ephesians 5.10, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. We're not to do that by phenomena and fleeces. We're to just go to his word and ask God confirm it for us. And sometimes God uses circumstances to confirm his will. Godly wisdom of friends, and God is so patient with us, patient with Gideon's reluctance. The Lord confirms, and Gideon still hesitates, so again, God reaffirms his uh, choice in chapter 7 by this um, excursion to the camp, the dreams that this enemy had about victory that Gideon would have over them, and the motif, chapter uh, 7 and verse 14, I believe you see it there again, uh, the fellow at the other camp, the enemy answered and said, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon. The son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. Well, so we see just a couple thoughts more quickly here before we're done. Though he was diminished, he was not deterred. You know the story or the 
end of the story as God begins to bring these men together who will be those that fight the Midianites. I love the story will not, uh, for sake of time, spend a lot of time rehashing the details, but know this, that Gideon was able to bring uh, to the gather together these thousands from his own side. He had uh, at least 32,000 men that came, and that's not a bad group that came uh, to when he blew the trumpet. <clears throat> they came and followed him, and God was, uh, God was amazed by that. He says, listen, that's way, way, to fight 135,000, that's way too many. <laughs> 32,000 is way too many. I don't want anybody to get the credit here but God. Send the fearful away. Can you just put yourself in that place and listen to the vacuum sound of what is it that left? 22,000 people. Well, if that's the offer, Captain Gideon, we're out of here. (laughs) 22,000 people just leave. Soldiers. And there's Gideon. He's diminished, right? <clears throat> the army's reduced. He's got 10,000 left. The Lord says, wait a minute. It's still far too many. It's far too many. And Gideon must be scratching his head at this point. What do you mean? We've got 10,000 against 135,000. And the Lord, we don't have any of that discussion at all. I think his faith is building. And so they put, him through, they put the soldiers through an alertness test and took him to the river the spring there <clears throat> and near the slopes of the mountain that he was on in the Jezreel plain, and he begins to put him through this alertness test. Who would keep their eyes up as they drank water? These, of course, would make better soldiers. 9,700 did not pass the test. They buried their faces in the water and just slurped it up. They were not alert. They didn't keep their eyes on the enemy. Imagine the talk at home. As these two, this company was dismissed, leaving 300 only to fight the thousands. Honey, why aren't you fighting? Why didn't drink water right? (laughs) No, the truth is you were not concerned with alertness. Would you pass the alertness test, would you? Who in the church around you is hurting? Who on your block needs Christ? What is going on at the state house? What is going on at the church house? What is your enemy doing? Do you even care? Do you know? What is the enemy doing to your teenagers? Are you defending them? Or are you just going through life, drinking water, face in the brook? The Lord says, I don't need those kinds of soldiers, that type of soldier. Send them home. Why are you here, honey? I didn't keep my eyes up. So he's got 300 left and God is happy. The Lord reduces his army, diminishes it, but he was not deterred. We see that in chapter 17, uh, verses 18, when I blow a trumpet and all them that are with me, then ye shall blow the trumpet. So he got together his, um, and I got to tell you, the Bible doesn't say God gave him this battle plan. So he, he had some smarts about him. He, he, he said, we're going to make ourselves look bigger. <laughs> we're going to attack at night, second watch between 10, or excuse me, 2 a.m. in the morning, 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. We're going to go then when they're changing the guard. And we're going to show up. We're going to divide our company of 300 into 100s, and we're going to carry clay pots, which make a lot. Ever dropped clay pot on a 
a clay floor uh, or a tile floor. It just, it just sound, you can hear it for a block. And so they took the clay pots and they took a, a fire torch inside. They took shrill ram's horns that make a terrible noise. We visited Israel. I said, show me the trumpet that they played in Gideon's day. And he went back to the gift shop and brought it out, a long, twisty thing, a ram's horn. I says, does that thing really make a noise? He says, watch this. He began to blow through it, and that thing will scatter the neighborhood. <laughs> it's an ugly sound, I think. Of course, he may not have been proficient at it. But can you imagine all this sound and the, the clattering, the, the breaking, the, the lights dancing in the darkness? It caused all the enemy to believe that they were surrounded by who knows what, and they pulled out their swords and began to kill each other in the chaos. And Gideon was the one that commanded all of them to shout, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, not two swords. Gideon understood that it was the Lord's battle. It was not his own. He was just a conduit of God's strength and power and majesty and blessing. What a victory was accomplished there that time and that night. Well, the 300 accomplished a great victory. And uh, then I think the final principle, uh, just by way of looking at his life, was this. The battle was over. There's a lot of details that were kind of hot air ballooning over. But I want you to know at the end of the day, when all the enemy were vanquished and they did not return during Gideon's subsequent, not rule, but his judgeship for 40 years, they were so demolished and devastated by this comprehensive victory that they did not try to, they did not try to test Gideon again. But they all came to him, as you might imagine, said, Gideon, we want you to rule over us. In chapter 8. Let's just end with these verses, chapter 8, verse 22. He was the hero from being the least in the house of, uh, of the Abizrites, of his dad, Joash, being the least one in the house of Manasseh. He's now the most popular man in Israel. Can you imagine? And they ask him, would you please rule over us? Verse 22 of chapter 8, both thou and thy son and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us. From the hand of Midian, and he never forgot who it was that carried the sword. It wasn't him, it was God's sword. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. What a great man of character. Though he became popular, he did not usurp God's place. The battle was the Lord's. God won this. I was just God's helper. I will not usurp God's theocratic rule, the rule of Yahweh. I'm not going to take God's place. He's the one that told us as tribal leaders, as leaders of families within the nation of Israel, to do our job to stand up and lead our families to clear out the land of idols and idolatry and the enemies. Let God rule. I will not take God's place. How tempting it is when we have a season of success to believe it was us that gained the victory, that the prosperity was really ours and our doing or our thinking or our planning. What a great plan, Gideon could have said, patting himself on the back, to use that whole idea of surprise at night with the clay pots and all that. Man, that was a great idea. But he doesn't. He says it was the Lord's sword. I carried it too, but God was the one that energized and powered the victory. 
Don't take credit where it belongs to God, and it all belongs to God. Amen? If there's anything good about your life and mine, it's because God did it. God's doing it. So step into His shadow. Let Him be glorified. Let Him be magnified. What a great, courageous leader was the man of Gideon. And God has left His story, His narrative for us in the Bible for our learning. Father, we pray today that you would give us a spirit in this day and age. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lorne Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.